Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I'm your guide on our journey through the world out there of movies that just need a little more love. Our movie today is a special one. It's a uh, milestone of sorts on Staff Picks. This is the first time I'm ever doing a proper sequel on the show. And I've been very vocal in the past that in general, I do not like movie sequels. I don't like reboots. I don't like remades. I don't like sequels. I don't like anything that wasn't original. But there are several sequels out there that I think are especially interesting and fun to talk about. And this is one of them. Our movie, of course, is a very Brady sequel. The sequel to the Brady Bunch movie. It came out in 1996. And while I don't like it as much as the Brady Bunch movie... There's some really interesting, fun, standout scenes in this movie that I just have been dying to talk about for the longest time. And as luck would have it, I happened to find somebody who wanted to come talk about this movie. And hey, guess what? It's the same person I had for the Brady Bunch movie episode, which I will say to this day is still one of the most popular and downloaded episodes of Staff Picks. If you want to hear a good example of when the show first started off. And uh, what one of the good early episodes we'll have, go, go check out the Brady Bunch episode. So I want to welcome her back to the show. She is an improv comic. She uh, is very well known in on the internet in uh, the Survivor and reality TV community. Welcome back to the show, Taylor Cotter. Thank you, Mario. Uh, very excited to be back uh, and uh, to dive into a sequel that uh, it's, it's so, almost the same as the first movie in so many ways, but just not as good. So, uh, you know, in a world where there are so many sequels that um, are, I guess, both good and bad, I'm glad to be able to talk about one of the better ones. Now, okay, now first of all, I have to say, Taylor is my Brady Bunch friend. And I will say that it's, as you go through life, you make friends from different areas of life. Like, oh, this is my sports friend. This is my, you know... TV friend. She's my Brady Bunch friend. Anytime I, I post or see someone talk about Brady Bunch or Brady Bunch movie, it's Taylor. So we have had this relationship on the internet for quite a while. And you have told me you saw this movie, the sequel, before you saw the original movie, correct? Yes, that's true. Um, I do. Uh, I was pretty young. I was born in 1989. So I but I became probably a big Brady Bunch fan around 96 97 98 which is really when uh, I got into TV in an unhealthy way uh and so I believe uh my brother and I stumbled upon a very Brady sequel we were like this is amazing a movie made from our favorite show <laughs> and we are you know in maybe third grade and kindergarten uh respectively and uh then I remember very clearly like us really telling my mom like how much we want to get it I think from the library and a librarian having to tell my mom like oh just so you know uh this isn't like a real Brady Bunch movie it's kind of a spoof and uh it's actually like not for kids and my mom caved <laughs> and we saw this movie pretty young so uh jokes that uh went over my head and and you know what probably would have gone over my head five years ago or ten years ago on this watch uh, I finally got. So uh, we saw the first one maybe in 97 or, or we saw a very brief sequel in 97 or 98 and then probably the Brady Bunch movie a little bit after that. Okay, now 
Which one of the two do you prefer? I, I, you said you didn't like the sequel as much. Is that is that just you trying to please me, or do you actually like the first one more? So I always liked the sequel better for a long time, and there are still a couple things I prefer about the sequel. I think there's some like darker stuff to it, which I like better. Um, but in the past year since we watched the Brady Bunch movie and now watching a very Brady sequel. It's it's not as tight and it's not as funny. Um, so it's like I'll I will say that I do think the Brady Bunch movie one is a better movie, but they are they're not so different. And it's amazing that they came out one after another. They didn't lose any of the cast. It's almost like they might have made both like the uh, they could have shot them both as one kind of super long movie and then cut cut them into two. Uh, so I I kind of like that one doesn't really exist without the other in my mind. Yeah, it's so you're comparing it to like Richard Donner shooting Superman and Superman Two, where, where the continuity has to stay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know what's funny is that I I grew up. I mean, I'm much older than you by 15 years, and I grew up watching you know the Brady Bunch, and that was the show of my generation. And I love that someone of your generation grew up watching the Brady Bunch, or at least grew it up in reruns. And it's funny because I have a son who was born in 2002 who hates the Brady Bunch. He could not hate a TV show more than that show. And whenever we have it on TV, he'll be like, why do people your age think this is funny? Why do you guys think the Brady Bunch is funny? And I'm always like, we don't watch it because it's funny. We watch it because this is it was a quirky little show that happened to be on all the time. Like, do you actually like the original TV show or you just kind of enjoy it for what it was? I haven't watched it in years and years. But I just remember liking it for what it was. Like, I was a kid. And even though you watched it in the 70s and I watched it in the 90s, we were probably close to the same age when we were watching it. And we were like, this is a nice show about a family. You know, it's like I I watched The Brady Bunch. I watched Full House. I watched Family Matters. All the stuff that's like, okay, fun family sitcom about family stuff and but I like, and as kind of an OCD kid, I love the symmetry of the Brady Bunch. Like that was really a huge part of it for me. And uh, it's just, it's just a nice show. I don't remember ever laughing out loud at it, even as you know, a nine-year-old. Yeah, it's funny how older shows tend to be like that. Like I've been watching like Family Ties and The Cosby Show, which you're not yeah. supposed to mention, but just it exists. The Cosby Show existed, but like you rarely actually laugh out loud at those shows. They're just kind of pleasant. I was watching Frasier today and like it's very similar like the jokes are telegraphed from so far away mm -hmm. that you can't really laugh at it you re like maybe someone might but it, it would be hard to have a genuine genuine kind of guffaw at any of these shows but that doesn't mean they're not worth watching. Yeah. Although, again, there's no faster way to clear a room in the Lanza house than to turn on the Brady Bunch that all kids <laughs> will scatter. It's like it's like they're kryptonite. They cannot handle this show. That's amazing, and it's your wife's favorite show, right? Do I, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, she is the Brady Bunch expert in this house, although she would say her favorite show is The Wonder Years, really. But oh, okay. Brady Bunch would be number two, and it's just that she knows every episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the one thing I, I try to get across to people in these movies, that the Brady Bunch movie should have won some special award for how many references it made to the TV show and like loving references, subtle references, just all over the place. And like Taylor said, the sequel is really a lot of the same. It's it may reference more episodes than the first one does. But like you said, it's kind of it's not as tight. It's kind of scattered, especially 
the last half hour of the movie, they're just throwing in references left and right that don't really mean anything. It's just to see if you can catch them. So it's kind of sloppy, but like you said, it's close enough to the original that the spirit is there. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I wish that uh, more movies were made like this. I don't know if really any others were. Yeah, it's well. The, yeah, I always say the Brady Bunch movie was the first of its kind. It's like a loving, savage, absolutely savage parody slash tribute. <laughs> and what's funny is the uh, the love hate relationship that the actual Brady Bunch cast members have with that movie. Have you read about that over the years? Uh, oh, the, I read a little bit about Florence Henderson wasn't a huge fan of the sequel. Um, but that's all I saw. Yeah, the first one. Um, was better received, and again, as as was was the case, the original is always going to get more attention. The sequel is just kind mm-hmm. of written off. But like, a lot of the uh, original cast didn't like the first one. Like, they were paid to be involved, and they got cameos, so they thought it was cool. But I know Barry Williams didn't like what a nerd and what a dork Greg was in the movie. And I'm always wondering, like, what show was he watching that he didn't think he was a dork? But he apparently he didn't. <laughs> Yeah, I like I I wonder if today they would be a little more like light about it if they they would have a better attitude about it today because it kind of kept them relevant way beyond their time. But I'm guessing like people must like revere them for being Brady's, even though like none of them have done anything super significant <laughs> since then. And if anything tries to uh, tarnish that legacy, I guess uh, I guess I understand where they're coming from. Yeah. And then the uh, the Florence Henderson thing, like you mentioned, the, uh, she publicly came out against the first movie saying it wasn't true to the spirit of the Brady's and like they weren't offering her money to be in a cameo and they finally offered her money. So she kind of did a 180 and she reluctantly endorsed the first one. But this one, she just flat out hates, which is just it's just funny. But yeah, what are the I'm trying to remember the words that I read today, like. She said the second one was mean spirited. It yes. goes against the concept of the Brady's. Like it's just, and I know the, the 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 founder Sherwood Schwartz, the producer, was also kind of on the fence as well. He's not entirely sure if he liked these movies or not. It it is like a savage parody, like you said. Uh, so the fact that it's both so pitch perfect and so like the jokes are so tight for the most part, uh, and. Uh, like I get, I can understand that as a creator that if someone is making fun of something you did, it's very easy to sort of be like, oh, they didn't get it, they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. But the people that made these movies, which I believe are two different teams of people, which is crazy, uh, they they definitely they deeply deeply understood the show <laughs> and were able to make fun of it. Which I know, obviously, you're a big SNL person, and like satire is tough. Like it's very hard to strike that chord. Um, it's and when you do it right, it should be a little offensive. <laughs> now I want to go back to something you said right at the start, where you said you tried to rent this very Brady sequel, and the librarian said it's not for kids. I am very curious. Yep. Do you think this is a movie for kids? No, I don't. <laughs> I think uh, that librarian was correct. And I think uh, this is one of many movies that uh, my parents uh, kind of were, we convinced them to let us rent uh, that we probably shouldn't have. But I mean, I, I, a lot of the jokes I think are nice, like family jokes that the adults will understand things that think uh, kids don't uh so that's fine but i'm like they're straight up this is like a movie with some i guess you can't really call it straight up incest but you can say like 
a, a, a version of incest. And then uh, I do remember learning very clearly what um, what uh, mushrooms were from this film. <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't think they're really hinting at incest. They're going right down the path of incest in the movie. I, I mean, I mean, in the sense that like they, I, they're only uh, steps. <laughs> The the jokes that I love, the one that I find really risque are the uh, Shelley Long jokes when Carol Brady is talking about all the things she wants Mike to do to her. Like, <laughs> oh, I have something I'd like to put in me for a long time, Mr. Brady. Like, <laughs> those are things that as a kid, those will go right over your head and you don't really have to worry about it. Yeah. Now, I don't remember if we praised Shelley Long as much in the first one. I know we talked about how awesome Gary Cole was as the dad and Marsha yeah. and uh, Jan and Greg in particular, but... I really love watching these Brady Bunch movies, and I watch Shelley Long now, and, yep. and she's one of these people that's very much maligned. People, SNL has historically, you know, bashed her, and it's kind of a thing that Shelley Long movies suck. But like, she's so funny when you just watch her in these scenes, how she can act with her eyes, and she has a lot of good scenes in this one in particular. But I just wanted to give a quick shout out if we don't talk about it the rest of the episode, how funny Shelley Long is, and how sad it was that she didn't really have a good movie career because she really is funny. She rocks, and I uh, is since we last talked also got very into Cheers, uh, which I had never watched. And she is she is truly amazing, and I think it's like she is like this kind of interesting niche actress, and like she uh, had kind of different things come up for her at different times. She's kind of like maybe a proto Judy Greer or someone like mm -hmm. that. But she's so she's so 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 funny and such a good actress and she's good at every point in her career and it's it, like it's a tragedy that she's not on a show now because she would be like amazing. I think she's on like Modern Family kind of. But I actually think her character, uh, spoiler alert, dies. Uh, but uh, and I. Uh, I actually thought about this after like months after we recorded the last podcast that I didn't give enough credit to in the first movie. Who's not even in this movie is um, Michael McKeon, who is so, so funny and <laughs> has become one of my favorite actors. Uh, so uh, he's in the first movie, but unfortunately doesn't make a reappearance here. Well, luckily we do have Tim Matheson in this one who yeah, very significant character who's actually in the movie more than a lot of the Brady characters. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's definitely the star and I love I I remember being a kid and like loving this so much because the hugest hole, well, there's like a number of big holes very famously in the original Brady series, but super famously that they never, ever mention Carol's first husband. So like what an obvious, amazing thing to make a movie about. It's so good. Okay. Yeah. That will lead us. I guess we'll go into the plot here. Yeah. But yeah, it's, that's the neat thing about this movie that, yeah, it's a dumb sequel and it's thrown together and it's more slapsticky and over the top than the first one. But it really delves into a part of Brady lore that is indeed true. This is part of the TV show that if you've never seen the Brady Bunch, this won't make much sense. But Carol's husband, Carol, you know, she ends up single with all these three girls. She hooks up with Mike Brady and they become the Brady Bunch. It's never explained at any point ever in the TV show what happened to her first husband. And so that launches us right into this movie. Yeah, and it's it's super smart. And Tim Matheson is great. Uh, he definitely, you're right, is much more kind of the star of the movie than maybe anyone else. But I won't even say, like, he kind of, he fits this, fills that sort of Michael McKeon role as, like, the sort of, uh, you know, voice of reason, straight man character to this group of people that's supposed to be living 
uh, as they're in the 70s, in the 90s, which is much less of a plot point in this movie. But it's good to have kind of like a curmudgeon mean guy, I guess, uh, if, you, if that's the point you're trying to prove. Yes, who will at one point suggest that Cindy Brady be sent to a special school. <laughs> Can't get more uh, deliberately cruel than that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's let's. I just picture Florence Henderson cringing at horror when someone suggests that Cindy Brady might be special needs. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fair. I'm I'm like I don't know what what uh, Florence Henderson would have found offensive in this. I'm like, oh right, right, right. <laughs> okay, so here we go. We're gonna walk through the very uh, very Brady sequel again. The very first official sequel talked about on staff picks. I did Deathstalker two a while back, but that's not really a sequel. It's kind of a remake. So. All right, so here we go. Very Brady sequel. And again, the, the story of these movies is that the Brady's existing in the 90s as if nothing had changed in the past. They'd just gone right from the 70s up until the 90s, and they're still living their exact same life in the more modern society and everyone dealing with them. I think, is that a fair way to say it? Yep, exactly. Okay, so we open this one, and it's like a uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark opening. This movie will have several homages to other movies where it's this uh, dig side, and these the archaeologists discover this horse, this uh, horse statue. And where is it from? It's like from the, the Tang Dynasty, right? The 7th century Tang Dynasty? That sounds right to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I okay. didn't write that down. Good enough. Yeah, so <laughs> it's this horse statue, and they're, they're these two explorers, and one of them, like, they're sailing back to the U.S. with a statue that's priceless work of art, and one of them decides to get greedy and, and cut the lines of the boat and abandon the other guy out at sea, and he swims to shore, and he has a plan that the statue's going to end up back in the U.S., he's going to get rich, blah, blah. It makes no difference to the story. It's just an incidental thing that won't come up until the very end. But what's fun is that... We find out this horse is this incredibly ornate, rare auction piece that's worth $20 million. And then all of a sudden we switch right to the Brady house, and it's the horse on their mantle, or not on their mantle, the horse in their living room, right? Mm-hmm, yep. And that horse is in every single damn episode of the Brady Bunch, right? Yep, and I believe it's never talked about in the actual series. <laughs> now, now, why would they talk about it? It's just it's just a set a set piece. Yeah. It's a set piece that uh, they probably threw in there in the first episode, never thought about again, but some big nerd uh, took note of. <laughs> yeah. And that's, again, just these little Easter eggs for Brady Bunch nerds that this damn horse that's in every single episode of the Brady Bunch that's sitting there in their living room becomes an entire plot point. And it's like a $20 million statue. And so that's going to be the plot of this movie is the bad guys trying to get the statue and the Brady's being, as always, blissfully unaware that nefarious things are going on. Perfect. And uh, yeah, very similar, not similar plots to the first point, but very first film, but very uh, believable uh, next step. Yes, because that's what we're looking for here is the believability in the Brady Bunch movies. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we will start this movie and again, it opens with the opening credits and, you know, whoa, who has that statue? What's their story? And we see all the Brady Bunch opening credits. It's the same as the first one. And we go through this like... uh, this uh, innocuous opening of the movie where it's just like a Brady Bunch episode. It's the same stupid little bland subplot you would have seen on the TV show. What are some of the TV, the subplots that are going on right at the start here? So uh, let me think. Uh, I'll try to remember them in order. I think we start with Jan and Marsha. They're not really doing a whole lot. Uh, Mar- they're talking about the summer. Jan wants a boyfriend. Uh, Marsha has a lot of guys after her. So Jan is starting to get 
anxious about a relationship, uh, then where do we go there? We go uh, to Peter working in the architecture firm, uh, which I do believe is a plot point from an episode. Uh, And so Peter, like for some reason, they're making him work in the architecture firm uh, with Mike Brady for the summer. uh, And he's a bad architect or uh, he's probably they don't really dig too deep into this, but ends up being a kind of a plot point later. Uh, then, uh, Bobby and Cindy are detectives, uh, again, like, just something, uh, like, them planting seeds at the beginning of the movie for them to follow up with 80 minutes later, uh, and then, uh, my favorite, uh, Greg is, uh, putting on a new persona of Johnny Bravo to be a cool guy. Yeah, and it kills me he never mentions, he never mentions Johnny Bravo in this movie, it kills me he never says the name. He doesn't say Johnny Bravo. Oh, that, I wonder if it, there's a trademark. <laughs> yes. The Johnny Bravo <laughs> lobby was very upset about this. Um, oh, I think you also said you also said that Jan is starting to get anxious about having a relationship. I don't think she's starting to get anxious. I think she's been in full-blown meltdown for quite a while, especially when Marsha gaslights her repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> very fair. Yeah. So what the, they're and they're setting up for the amazing uh very uh, now famous uh, George Glass uh, storyline. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're already have about eight different subplots from Bra- actual Brady Bunch episodes all going on here. They're all being thrown out, and they will all be resolved later through the movie. But it is funny how they will get twisted. And like uh, like we said, this is very much a darker version of the first movie. We're going to go in some deep dark places. Although our first subplot we're going to wind up with is the House of Cards, which is a one of the mm. most all time famous Brady Bunch moments. It's good. It's like they uh amazing. I don't remember. Well, I can't remember if um the moving to the attic was an original. No, no, that's from the show. Point. That's from the show. Okay, okay. Uh but yes, uh the uh, I believe there's more than one Brady Bunch House of Cards in the series it's like a a common way they uh solve problems which is amazing um and, and yeah very and, and this is one of those things that like it's all it's funny i think it's funny if you know it. it's probably funny if you don't yeah yeah this is the common way to uh resolve conflict in the brady house that that greg wants to move to the attic and Marsha wants to move to the attic and so they decide by building a house of cards the house of cards contest is the uh the the deal breaker whoever wins that wins the room and so they we have the scene right at the start yeah. of the movie where they're building a house of cards and what's interesting is we do not have a definitive winner which is kind of a flaw in the brady bunch justice system no i yeah and there is no winner there's a you know a rube goldberg series of events that uh has this whole uh, whole thing end with uh I guess Jan, uh, there's a basketball, Jan comes in, knocked over, big old mess. But, uh, I, uh, we had to get to a point where I guess Marsha and Greg were sharing a room. So. All right. That's fair. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But this is why in ancient Greece, Plato advised against houses of cards being used to settle matters of the justice system. Yeah. You never know when, uh, someone's going to throw a basketball at it. (laughs) Yeah. So basically what happens is uh, they're doing the house of cards to determine who's going to live in the attic. And this is all, you know, Brady Bunch canon at this point. And then there's a, a bunch of series of events happen. The basketball comes flying down the stairs, which is a famous Brady Bunch moment. And then Jan spills a glass of juice on the horse, which I believe is another Brady Bunch moment. I'm not sure about that one. 
But at the end of the day, basically what happens is this priceless $20 million artifact, this Tang Dynasty horse has been covered by grape juice and they must send it off to the antique store to be cleaned, which of course was where the mom, Carol, walks in and says, Alice, could you send this to the antique store? And it never fails to get a rise out of my wife when she hears stuff like that. She's like, why don't you do anything, Carol? Why does Alice do all your crap? <laughs> yeah, Carol, Carol I, I don't really know how she uh, spends her time. She has a cushy life. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yes. Alice making meatloaf every single night for the family, doing all the work. Carol does nothing. <laughs> I have to say, uh, as, I, as I've gotten older, I have much more appreciation for the Brady Bunch um their uh, their aesthetic and the, uh, like how their house is laid out and designed. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe that's what Carol's working on. She's like putting together like a mid-century modern uh, <laughs> style here. So wait, you're giving no credit to the actual architect who lives in the house who may have designed it? <laughs> that's fair. And he probably definitely designed it, right? That's like, that's one of the jokes in this movie that's all, that all he knows how to design is a split-level house. Yeah, that's actually one of my, my low-key favorite quotes in this movie where Mike is at the architecture firm and he's talking about, he's showing Peter all the, the designs he makes. And one of them is like a house that looks just like his. He goes, you can see, here's the house. You can even see the little people potato sack racing in the backyard. <laughs> now, apparently, <laughs> according to Mike, that's what you must have in any house, potato sack races. Makes sense, yeah. Okay, so the House of Cards has fallen, and, and Greg and Marsha must share the attic, and this is, again, a historical Brady Bunch uh, conflict. I think there's an episode called A Room at the Top. I hate that I know that, but I do. <laughs> and so you think this is where it's going. It's just like a Brady Bunch episode, but now everything will be thrown asunder as we meet a new character, and all of a sudden there's a knock at the door, and Mike's like, oh, who's that? And it turns out it's Tim Matheson who says, hi, I'm Carol Brady's original husband, Roy Martin. I'm here to get her. And this is where the movie will spin off a little bit. Really amazing. And, like, it gave me another moment of thinking, like, I can't believe... Well, I guess I got a little in the weeds because I was thinking, I was like, did Mike Brady adopt all those kids when he moved, when they moved in with him or when they got married? Hmm. He must have. That seems like not that crazy of a thing, I guess. Because I was like, I was like Martin and I was like, I think that that's canon. But I was like, all their last name was Martin until like five years ago in Brady timeline. Can you imagine in pop culture? Uh -huh. Can you imagine in pop culture we could have had a character named Marsha Martin? Yeah, there you go. Marsha Martin was a character. Nice of him to adopt them. Yeah, Mike Brady. Yeah, he either adopted them or he abducted them, depending on how dark you want to go for the timeline here. <laughs> yep. Yes. Mike Brady drives a windowless white van. <laughs> All right, we're getting darker than the movie. I won't do that. All right, so... Anyway, yeah, Roy Martin shows up, and he's like, you know, I'm Carol's first husband. And again, anybody who knows Brady mythology knows this could have been possible. We don't know what happened to this dude. And I know, I do know, okay, I'll drop a little trivia on people. I know Sherwood Schwartz, the producer of the show, always said that he died because you couldn't do divorce on TV. And so it was implied that he died, but they keep, they were never allowed to actually say that. You couldn't say dead on TV that the husband died. I don't know. So that's why it was left open, and that's how this wonderful movie exists, all because of the network standards of the 60s. That Yeah, the, I there's a lot of stuff in this show like that. Like, uh, famously, there's no toilet in the bathroom and uh, that kind of thing. But I'm, I'm surprised to hear that because they definitely said that Mike Brady's wife died. But... Uh, Women can die, but men can't die. <laughs> well, yeah. 
that's the thing. Men are supposed to be uh, immortal back then, apparently. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm trying to remember now. I've read Sherwood Schwartz's book. I've read about a lot about this. I think maybe Sherwood wanted her to be divorced. That was he wanted. He mm. wanted her to be liberated. That she got a divorce, and the standard said, "No, you can't do that." And so. The mm-hmm. network made him say that that her husband died, but Sherwood, in a defiant gesture, just would not say that. He wouldn't let them win either. So I think that's what happened. Very interesting. Yes, yeah. I, I, that makes sense. I'm glad. I'm glad they did that that way. It's it's kind of a darker show if it's like two widowed people coming together <laughs> than uh, just sort of two people that happen to be unmarried. Mike Brady and Carol Martin were both involved in insurance scams where they offed their partners. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> It's not quite so fun anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so yeah, there's a great line here where we meet Roy Martin and and Mike Brady. I just love again Robert or uh, what's his face, uh, Gary Cole, who I just love in these movies. This uh-huh. has a way of delivering the most ridiculous lines. And there's one here where he says, "Alice, this is Roy, Carol's first husband. He's not dead like we originally thought." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's great. I, I'm sure I talked a lot about him in the first movie because I love him. And he's someone that uh, has also uh, taken some turns into like more serious acting. So, so so to see him be like purely comedic and purely character here is awesome. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So that's the storyline that Roy Martin is a, a confidence man, a con artist. He is the guy at the start of the movie who tried to steal the horse and he's trying to come up here to gear, grab it from the Brady's and sell it. And he's got a whole scam where he's got a buyer that's going to buy it from him. So again, the, the loose trappings of a plot in this movie, that's where we're going here. We got a con man trying to pass himself off as Carol's husband and all the kids of course love him. And he talks about how he's an adventurer and he has nunchucks and all the kids think he's the greatest thing ever. And although he does make a classic mistake right at the start and this will be, Roy's downfall at the end that he does not treat Mike Brady with respect and that right at the start of the movie Mike Brady gives a little lecture he's going to give a lecture about houses and how they all stand together and Roy introducts mm-hmm. in, or interrupts him and says do we have to hear the end of this and, oh that is not, not a good thing do not interrupt a Mike Brady lecture I am um, Mike Brady is a little bit like um I don't know if Mike Brady would have been uh <laughs> revered in 2019 he's kind of a mansplainer uh so i but um uh but uh i i think he's too beloved for anyone to ever uh come for him yes he will mansplain quite a bit but in all fairness he does it to everybody it's not just to the women he mansplains yep, yep. to the world <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what happens right at the start is that, you know, this guy Roy is the big hero, the, their new dad, and the girls are so excited to meet their dad again. And, and and this is where Roy just starts out giving horrible advice to the children, which is hilarious because it leads into actual Brady subplots. And I always love the, the kind of the wormhole we go down in that that level where he's like, Jan's like, I can't get a boyfriend. I'm not popular. And he's like, well, with your face, you probably need to make one up, which is just a horrible <laughs> thing to say. And Jan's like, make one up. Yeah. But not to Jan. She that's what she needed. She needed it. That's the that's the kick in the butt Jan needed. So she goes out and makes up a boyfriend, which I'm not sure would be in the parenting manual how to treat that one, but she does, and so that's something that really happened on the Brady Bunch show. So I appreciate that they, they like backdoor into an actual Brady plot just because Roy's a dick. <laughs> it's perfect. That that is like I, one of the best things about the show is just that sort of like we have to justify these uh, all these absurd things happening all at once and they amazingly are able to do it 
It, what's funny is I read a website once about the questionable parenting advice of Mike and Carol Brady. And someone pointed out how many horrible pieces of advice they gave their kids over the years that led to these really twisted subplots. So it is funny when you think about it, how many crazy things these Brady Bunch kids do in the TV show and how it all had to come from this terrible advice they were getting from their parents. <laughs> that makes sense. I don't know how these kids would uh, turn out in real life. <laughs> all right. So here we go. So now the movie's going to get really dark. And again, you think just uh, introducing Carol's dead husband kind of twist the Brady mythology a little bit. Now we get a scene, and this is the one that really made me laugh the first time I saw it in the theater, where Greg and Marcia are upstairs sharing this bedroom. You know, they're living in the attic. They have a curtain down the middle. And this is where the incest subplot starts. Yeah, and it is dark, and it is probably tasteless, but it is also one of my favorite things about the whole movie. <laughs> yes. And and again, there's levels of comedy and stuff like this. Now, of course, you know the backstory that in real life, Greg and Marsha were like banging like rabbits. I, I have heard that, which I also, I love that too. Yeah. So in real life, Maureen McCormick and Barry Williams were a couple and they could not show it on the TV show because they were brother and sister. And so there is, if you read Barry Williams book, there's all these stories about them. You know, they're supposed to have talks and scenes where they're just playing brother and sister, but there was so much sexual tension in the scene that they had to cut it. Like, cut, stop looking at each other that way. That's not how you play that scene. Greg does not want to jump Marsha. So they would have to do all these special rules to keep them from doing bedroom eyes at each other. And that's what this subplot in the movie really is about, that they're tapping into what was really going on in the scene. So it's kind of even meta humor in a way that Greg and Marsha start lusting after each other now that they share a bedroom and they see each other undress through the curtain a la George Costanza. <laughs> I really, I gotta say, though it is like we are told, you know, there's not a lot of mention throughout the series that this is a step family. Like I said, like they all have the same last name. They all call each other brothers and sisters. They all treat each other like brothers, <clears throat> like, excuse me, like brothers and sisters. But Greg and Marsha are step siblings. I, like, I'm not here to moralize whether step siblings get together. In the movie Clueless, it's everyone thinks it's fine. So, in I'll also uh, be I'll be the first to say that uh, if if you have a hot step sibling, you should go for it. That's right. Important advice from Taylor Cotter. <laughs> Why not? Like this is I, I I like it's a fun subplot. I love it in the movie. In a, I, I only my only qualm with it is that it doesn't go further than it does. <laughs> well, you wanted to see more hardcore action with Greg and Marsha. <laughs> I don't need to see it, but it, it, I wish it had been implied. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the director's cut, the even more non-appropriate for kids version <laughs> that Taylor was requesting in the back room of the library. Uh, yeah, I would. I didn't really care that much about this part uh, when I was a kid, but now as an almost thirty-year-old woman, I'm like, Let, let's let's go for it, guys. <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, let's do it. And you know what's funny is that uh, this uh, movie wasn't the first time that they point out that the kids aren't related. Now you said I'm an SNL fan. There's a very famous SNL sketch from the '90s. You know which one I'm talking about? The Brady Bunch versus the Partridge Family. No. Oh, good. Well, you're in you're in luck. Go find that sometime. It's the Brady Bunch versus the Partridge family having a sing-off to see, like, who's the better band. And they just start bashing each other. And at one point, uh, who is it? It's uh, it's Susan Day, as Laurie Partridge says, 
you know, none of you Brady's is related as brother and sister. What's going on over there? It's like, so that was the first time back in the 90s I kind of heard that, oh, yeah, they, they're not technically related. They could be doing anything, and they're perfectly legally justified. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, like, it's definitely something that's, uh, you know, people aren't talking about it, and people should be talking about it. Yes. So, yeah, and this scene in particular is just wonderfully done with them watching each other undress through the, the, the curtain. And then Greg's like, Marsha? And, Gre- and Marsha's voice just lowers. It gets so husky. She's like, yes, Greg. And it's like, I just <laughs> love the way that Christine Taylor does that. I love one of my favorite scenes in this movie. Yep, and I have to, I believe that her counting when she's brushing her hair is an old reference too that Marsha Brady would uh, brush her hair a thousand times each side uh, every night. Yeah. And although what's funny is if you know, even more Brady lore is that that was the thing that Marsha Brady would brush her hair endlessly. But in real life, it was Jan that would do that. Like Jan's mom was like the ultimate stage mom and Jan had the perfect head of hair. So it was kind of a running joke among the other cast members that Jan's mom had to brush her hair a hundred times every day in each direction. Cause it was so perfect. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So the Jan and Marsha stuff started early. Yeah, there you go. All great hair all around with those two, though. So Greg and Marsha are are slowly dipping their feet into the waters of incest up in the attic. <laughs> and again, Florence Henderson cringing when she's watching this. this no, that is not my Brady's. Yeah, it could have been a, a good flowers in the attic uh, reference there. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. <laughs> I am. I actually am. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's something there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so as Greg and Marsha are exploring the forbidden waters upstairs, we go downstairs, and this is like our first day with the family with this imposter, Mr. Martin, and he's, he's, you know, all the kids love him, and he's just scouting around trying to figure out where this horse is. He can't figure it out, and they're all doing their Brady crap. And this is where we learn that Jan makes up a boyfriend, right, George Glass? Yes, yes. Uh, This has become, I believe, like the most memed part of this movie because uh, Marsha's reaction to Jan here, uh, I guess a lot of people relate to. Yeah, you might want to explain that because I didn't I didn't know that was a big meme. Like, I know the Brady Bunch movie and I only found out about a year ago that this OK Jan was like a huge deal. So kind of explain that to people. Yeah, I I don't know how it became a meme, because obviously I've been familiar with this movie and this scene for many, many years. Uh, So I guess it's uh, there. It's a kind of just a reaction meme. Anytime someone says something that's a little unbelievable, there's just a a clip of Marsha saying a gif uh, of her saying, sure, Jan. And now uh, sure, Jan has uh, taken off in itself uh, as its own its own little thing. It's on Urban Dictionary, and it's hmm. uh, its own thing. I didn't know it was actually from this one. I always thought that was from the original Brady Bunch movie, so I was kind of shocked when I saw it this afternoon. I'm like, oh, that that's from this one. I didn't know that. Yeah, I never really thought about the difference, um, but I think that, uh, yeah, it's just a, such a, it's a big reaction to George Glass, which I think is one of the most famous uh storylines both from this movie and from the Brady Bunch. I'm guessing that people maybe a little younger than me might know this movie a lot better than they'll ever know the Brady Bunch show. Yeah. Uh, Because uh, the George Glass uh, stuff in the movie is a little more, 
is it's definitely funnier and like uh, uh, a little sillier than uh, what happened happens on the show. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much true for everything in the Very Brady sequel. Everything's a little more over the top and a little more comedic than maybe the original Brady Bunch movie or the original TV show. And the original Brady Bunch movie really tried to play these scenes straight. And this one, they go way over the top. And the George Glass one, I think, is very, very much a good example of that. That it's, it's, it's much more over the top than it was in the TV show when she invented a fake boyfriend. Yeah, I think it's a, it, it can be maybe seen as a little sad in the original uh, uh, canon. But here it's, here it's all in good fun. Jan, I think we probably talked about this in the first one. Jan is a pretty, in, in the actual show, a very sort of... Uh, nothing character like and she I don't I think she's the one that they uh, endowed the most with new qualities in the movie mm-hmm. uh, but um, it, so it's funny to see sort of these things that maybe uh, were just sort of cute about her in the show be made into uh, very sort of upsetting things yeah when I was growing up I never thought that Jan was especially sad she was just a middle child and and if you watch the TV show and again I I'm embarrassed to say I still watch it fairly regularly just because when it's on I'll always watch it but the thing is Eve Plum Jan was like the best actress of the six Brady kids and so they would give her mm-hmm. all the dramatic storylines anything that required emoting or emotions or like deep you know, deep, intense scenes they would give to Eve Plum. And so it's not so much that Jan was the saddest character, it's that she was the only actress that could really handle those. Yeah, that makes sense. And she, she's, it, it all fits. It all makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I'm glad they took Jan in this direction <laughs> uh, for the movie because it's so, so much funnier. Yeah, although I do have to give a little SNL shout-out again to Melanie Hutzel. You might not know Melanie Hutzel's a con- or, uh, cont- contributions to SNL, but and she she's the one that really kind of came up with this Jan Brady character on SNL around ninety three, ninety four, mm. and every single thing was was Jan just being put upon, and it, her life was horrible. So she kind of started this thing of people fascin- being fascinated by Jan. So this movie kind of just carries on what Melanie Hutzel first started. I think she should get some more credit in this movie. Uh, yeah, she should have had a cameo. She, they could have thrown her a cameo for sure. All right, so we're going to race through a couple scenes here because I want to get to the really big standout moments. But just there's a swimming pool scene here that a lot of people remember from this movie where Greg and Marsha and and Jan are all at the swimming pool. We're in the summer now, and and Jan's trying to get Marsha to believe that she has a fake boyfriend, and she tries to get George Glass to, you know, inter, uh, and now, uh, page her over the PA. But the scene mm-hmm. that most people remember here is Greg hitting on a girl, and it ends up being Marsha because he finds Marsha so hot from behind. Yeah, but the Moesha scene, which is the quote that everyone remembers from the sequel. Yes, we have RuPaul back, which uh, everyone, you know, it's so crazy to think that RuPaul like was a totally recognizable figure in 1996 and like is more recognizable today. Like mm-hmm. someone that people would have been very excited to show up in kind of a cameo role in these movies, because if they made this movie in 2019, RuPaul would play the same character <laughs> and look exactly the same. Yeah, that's funny. And, and again, RuPaul is Jan's guidance counselor. And it's really funny, I mean, it's interesting why they picked RuPaul to play the guidance counselor, but it's really interesting, the advice that that RuPaul, who plays Mrs. Cummings, gives to Jan, how to be happy in life, is be true to yourself, you have to have a mystery about who you really are, and you go, girl, which, again, all apply to RuPaul as well, so it's really kind of a meta, interesting thing that she got, or uh, RuPaul got picked to play Mrs. Cummings. And isn't there a line in there, too? 
uh, even if it's a drag or something yes. like that, like a very good, yeah. Yeah, even Sorry, if it's a if drag, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the line that everyone remembers here is then RuPaul's Mrs. Cummings, uh, three kids come up, and it's like the same dynamic as the Brady girls. He's through three African-American girls, and one's bra- brushing her hair, and then there's the little one with the pigtails, and there's like the kind of chunky one with braces who's mad that the older one's getting all the attention. And this is where we really date this movie when it was made. Yeah. She's like, why does Moesha always get all the attention? Moesha, 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 which would have been a yep. very funny joke in 1996. I'm not sure a modern audience would even know what they're talking about there. It was a big time for Moesha's in in that time. And I don't know if there's been a, a famous Moesha since, but we can only hope. The golden age of yeah, Moesha's gold- right there. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Moesha, a TV show starring, what, Brandy? Was Brandy in that? I kind of forget. Yes, yeah. yes. All right, so that's a topical reference, and that's always one of these dangers of don't always put topical references in your movie that no one will understand 20 years later. <laughs> hey, maybe they believed in the staying power of Moesha. <laughs> yes. They thought it would be a classic. It would be endless and timeless. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and this is where the plot's going to start moving forward ahead, where where Bobby and Cindy back at the house are doing their detective thing, and they're looking around because, oh, horror of all horrors, Kitty Carryall is missing, which, yeah, one of the it, ten most famous Brady Bunch episodes. Yeah, I, like, I'm trying to, these are all things that are all in my head, but I can't remember them specifically. So if you want to refresh my memory about Kitty Carryall, I would appreciate it. Oh, yeah. No, in the real show, there's one where Cindy loses Kitty Carryall, and it's one of the most famous Brady Bunch episodes ever. She gets lost, and that's where Bobby has to break out his detective kit. So everything that happens in this scene is very well known in Brady Bunch canon. Perfect. Yeah, and I am wondering if Kitty Carryall is a real toy, and I think it might be. It is. I believe it is. Yeah. And then they stumble into Roy Martin, and he's got a great line here where I love how how many times he'll start to swear in this movie and then realize he's around the Bradys, so he can't. <laughs> and it's really funny. Watch him. And it's really like me talking around my kids when they were like five years old. You have to censor your language. Yeah. And so, so the kids come in, and Roy's like, ah, oh, kids, you scared the sh- the heck out of me. Which, and he just starts bashing on these poor kids and making fun of Bobby and Cindy. And at one point, Bobby says, I'm a detective. I'm a private dick. Yep. And Roy just kind of like, nah, I can't touch that one. That's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it's, it's still a PG-13 movie, so they don't go crazy. But those little things are, you know, just uh, classic uh, Brady stuff. Okay, and here we're going to go into the first really big standout set piece of this movie where he finds out, he's like, hey, kids, where's this horse? I've been looking for the horse. And they're like, oh, mom took it to the uh, charity auction. Or no, they took it to the antique store and it's getting washed. And that's where it is. And the guy's like, let's go. Let's go do it right now. Let's go grab that horse. So they go outside and they get interrupted by the Brady kids who are going shopping for an anniversary present for their mom. And they're like, hey, Mr. Martin, you're our cool new dad. Let's go to the mall. Let's go shop (laughs) together. And this is... The scene that I will simultaneously say I love with every fiber of my being and my son hates. If this scene comes on in this movie, he will flee the room because he hates it so much. All the singing? All the singing. Yeah, he cannot handle Brady Bunch songs. It's so good. I love them so much. And they are... Not only do I love them, I... I feel like they're part of my DNA. I knew every word to this song and I knew every, they do another musical number. I know every word to that song. It's just I, like, and, I, and and that only must be from watching these stupid episodes and specials so many times because there obviously wasn't, I couldn't find these songs on the computer. So I like, 
they to me are just so good and like a lot of the songs correct me if i'm wrong i believe are from like um like one hour specials and sort of like different like talent show things that they would put on because they weren't always from like normal episodes um no you're actually incorrect every single song they have is from a legitimate brady bunch episode that they're always that was the thing the stage managers and the the parents and stuff of these brady kids back in the 60s they knew that their kids had a limited shelf life as teen stars so they tried to branch them off into singing and barry williams wanted to be a broadway star so they were forever trying to push the writers into put more musical acts into the show to diversify our kids that makes sense i'm thinking of the brady bunch variety hour yes which yes um and so maybe there were some songs on that um i don't know maybe they were different but i that all that all sounds right to me and i actually did see barry williams in a touring production once of the sound of music so i guess he got there he did but yep um so yeah i do remember them doing these like different variety shows Mm -hmm. where they would do all sorts of like uh different songs but now i'm looking at that and it seems like there's a lot of it's a lot of covers yes. and uh, different like kind of a Sunny and Share type stuff or like um, public domain kind of song. All right, I'll, I'll fill in most of our younger audience who may not know this. The Brady Bunch yeah. kids were there was an effort to turn them into a singing group just to diversify them because the Partridge family was doing that and they wanted to Brady's to kind of match them. So they would do original songs on the show and they'd put out albums. And then after the Brady Bunch ended, there were all the spinoffs, the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, the serious stuff. But yeah, you're thinking of that Brady Bunch Variety Hour, which was absolutely embarrassing and horrifying when you watch it now. (laughs) Because it was like the Donnie and Marie show or like the Sonny and Cher. They're doing covers. Yep. And that's where I remember them being in a lot of uh, matching outfits and such, too. Yeah. And and half the kids did not want to be there and couldn't sing to begin with. So it was like a nightmare. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, these ones in the movie, these are from actual Brady Bunch episodes. Like this one is the, awesome. the time to change montage. And uh, I will give a little Southern California trivia. They are, they go out to the mall and they do this whole montage to it's time to change. And they're dancing around and shopping and singing. And where they are is at the, uh, in Santa Monica, California by LA, there's a uh, boardwalk and there's a little, I think it was called Santa Monica Place or something like that. And if you know your movies, it's the same place they filmed Pee-wee's Big Adventure, where Pee-wee gets his bike stolen. You can kind of tell it's the same area. It's this outdoor little mall. Yeah, so that's where they're dancing and singing around there. Awesome. I love it. It's a great scene. Very fun. Great song. Uh, Head to toe. Yeah, one of the most iconic Brady songs, and it gets a little shout-out here. And again, like I said, I, I don't like the sequel as much as the original, but there's about... Four things of the sequel that I I think should have been in the original because they're so good. And this is one of those scenes where we got the time to change dance. Well, now I, I'm I'm Googling while we're talking, but I'm now kind of remembering that this famously is the song that Peter is singing when his voice is changing. Yes. Although yes. They do not, okay. Yeah, they do not do the voice crack in the middle of this one. They do the legit version. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, that would have been a good uh, a good thing to sneak in there. Because I was shocked they didn't have that song in the original movie. Because I think that's the most famous Brady song, and they didn't include it. So I was so happy it showed up here. Yeah, would they have Sunshine Day in the first one? Yeah, they had that. They had Keep On Moving. They had Davy Jones. 
But we, yeah. we'll have the, the real famous one here, Time to Change. But at the end of this movie, we're going to get my favorite Brady song in a movie, period, the one on, on the, when they're on the airplane. On the plane, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. Okay, so... So as we're going through this, uh, the kids are hanging out with Mr. Martin, and he cannot get his hands on the horse, and Carol's going through a moral dilemma where she's not sure if she should stay with Mike or stay with her original husband, and I'm just going to kind of skip through the, uh, she goes to get a new hairstyle, we get a David Spade cameo, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the only kind of interesting part about this, is uh, David Spade shows up uncredited, uh, which uh, I only know because I was like, I gotta confirm that that's David Spade, (laughs) right? Um but yeah, he kind of plays a weird sort of '90s hairdresser, but a fun little cameo for yeah. not oh, not a lot of fanfare for David Spade here. This is back when David Spade needed money very badly, I think. <laughs> I thought that must have been it because I was like, "This is, is this like pre SNL or <laughs> like he was on SNL at this time?" I think he had just left SNL. This is like the first. He's like doing okay. a little cameo after he left, so he he needed a paycheck. I think would be the proper terminology there. Got it, got it. Yeah. Although I will say, another shout out to Shelley Long. It's a really kind of uh, forgettable scene in this movie where she gets a new hairstyle and David Spade's trying to give her more different hair. But watch this scene and watch how good Shelley Long is at acting with her eyes and just responding to everything around the room. Like, she's really legitimately funny and it just, it really does bug me she didn't have a better career because she could do stuff like that and slapstick that a lot of actresses of that era weren't really doing. She was just like legitimately yeah. just like rubbery and bouncy and funny. And so it's, it's a, this scene in particular, it always stands out to me when I see it. Yeah. She's a true comedic actress and before her time, I don't know. She probably wouldn't be appreciated today. either. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. She was kind of after her time, like almost like in the Lucille Ball mode mold. And like, yeah. she just didn't really have the vehicle that supported that. Cause she really could have done a lot. Totally. Okay, yeah, so all, as all this is going on, Roy is still trying to get his hands on the horse, and everyone loves Roy. They think he's great, except Mike. Mike Brady is forever skeptical of their new house guest. And there's a great scene where, where <laughs> he's mad that Roy gave his son nunchucks, which you do not give weapons to children. <laughs> and Mike's like, yep. could I tell you, Roy, what it means to be a good guest? And <laughs> Roy's like, can I stop you? <laughs> like, I, I, I just love that. He's the one person that does not want to hear a Mike Brady lecture. Yes. Yeah, very good. I like. I love that scene because they're wearing the same suit. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, okay. The, we're gonna fast forward through the plot here a little bit, and this is where Roy finds yeah. out that this horse is gonna be sold at an auction tomorrow, and it's 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 uh, valued at up to fifty dollars. This horse is gonna sell fifty. <laughs> he knows it's worth twenty million, so he's like, oh my god. So he's gotta get to this auction tomorrow, get the horse, and get the hell out of this crazy house with these Brady kids. Although, he's going to. Uh, <laughs> This is the scene that I think would most people would call the biggest standout scene in this movie, the uh, animated tripping with the Brady's scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, have you ever seen the Brady Kids animated series? There was a cartoon in the 70s. Have you ever seen it? I think I've seen one or two episodes because a lot of that Brady, like alternative Brady Bunch stuff wasn't on Nick at Night, mm-hmm. but it would sometimes be like on in the morning. Uh so I kind of remember, I definitely remember seeing, um, seeing like one or two episodes, but I'm not super familiar with it. Okay. See, I personally have never seen the Brady kids animated series and I'm just explaining this to people who might not know it existed there. There were so many spinoffs of Brady bunch things in the seventies, late sixties, early seventies. And this animated series was one of them. And I've never personally seen it. And 
I'd have to check with my wife. I'm not sure she's even seen it. But I'm sure it's impossible to get. Like it's one of those shows that I, like feels like it was probably lost to history. But it kind of looks like Scooby Doo. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like yeah. every cartoon of that era. They all had a. <laughs> yeah. But what's funny is there's a scene here where Roy is going to take mushrooms. Alice slips mushrooms into his dinner. These magic mushrooms that he had in his bag, and he starts having a massive trip. And he goes into the Brady Bunch Kids animated series and he's spinning around and like they're actually referencing side characters and the the animals that were in the Brady Bunch TV series, the animated series, which, again, I I've never seen it. But anybody who knows their Brady Bunch trivia hardcore knows how funny the scene is because they're referencing very obscure stuff in here. I did not know that. That's awesome. I I want to go back and watch that and see if I can pick anything out because that, that's really, really funny. <laughs> it is, and it holds up well even if you don't know the series. It's just a hilarious scene with this guy taking all these mushrooms, and he starts tripping. And, like, Carol's clothes. She's got these little flowers on her shirt, and they start flying around the room. And it's just the trippiest scene. You wouldn't think you'd see it in a Brady Bunch movie. And he just has this massive trip. And it's just they're playing, uh, what is the song, Good Morning Starshine? Uh, yeah it sounds right to me it's fantastic so yeah this is i mean this scene is as good as anything in the first brady bunch movie where roy trips and just (laughs) i cannot say enough about it just google this one if you just want to see one scene in this movie how funny it is yeah that's a good one and i think yeah like i said like this is how i learned about uh tripping on mushrooms and what that meant so uh thank you this movie for that uh good life knowledge to have yes important lessons learned from the public library system (laughs) yes i I have a feeling this movie is no longer available at the public library (laughs) okay so what's happening here so we just random subplots of jam jan still trying to convince marcia she's got a boyfriend george glass she calls like a sex hotline which again, I'm sure Sherwood Schwartz was none too thrilled with his his innocent little Brady girls calling a sex hotline. Mm-hmm. But perfect uh, way to uh, fake a boyfriend mm-hmm. and uh, be on the phone with the boyfriend. So <laughs> yeah, cute little throwaway scene that is actually one of the funnier things for sure. Okay, and we're gonna wrap up the Jan and Marcia subplot with them fighting over boyfriends, where. Where it's like a love triangle almost. Like Greg is in love with Marsha, and then Jan is trying to impress Marsha. It all goes through Marsha, and where they all start dating each other's rivals, and Jan brings a fake boyfriend, George Glass, where she literally starts dating a mannequin. Like it's this one gets kind of slapsticking over the top, but it's a funny scene where they all, all these people they pull into the scene. Like Greg starts dating. Uh, Kathy Lawrence, who was the head cheerleader, and that's from an actual Brady Bunch episode that Greg voted for her yeah. to win over Marsha. Uh-huh. And then Marcia starts dating Warren Mullaney, who was the class president over Greg. It's like these are all really canonical Brady Bunch plots that were thrown together here. Yes, and Warren Mullaney is he in the first? He might show up in the first movie too. I'm not. I don't know if I remember exactly, but I love that. And there is a little exposition there for anyone that uh, may not be familiar with these characters because they are part. Brady Bunch is like so unserialized as a TV show. And maybe I feel that way because I definitely didn't watch them in order, but I'm guessing that, like, uh, you know, Kathy Lawrence made one appearance on the series. Or, like, and they aren't 
it, they're deep cut references, I guess is what I'm getting at. They aren't things that maybe even like a big super fan would remember. Yeah, no, it's fantastic how deep some of these cuts go. And like you said at the start, we haven't really talked about this, but the people who made this movie are different from the people who made the original Brady Bunch movie. And I know we forgot to mention uh, Betty Thomas. She was a very famous comedic actress in the 80s, turned to directing, and she directed the first Brady Bunch movie. And then it was like an, an entire new team for the second one. So it's, it's really kind of interesting that they do have so much, uh, uh, what is the word, continuity, because it's really made by two different teams. Yeah, I'm very, I was very surprised to hear that, because like I said, I, would, I wouldn't have been surprised if I found out that this was cutting room floor stuff from the first movie. It's so... Everything is the same. Like the lighting's the same. The, the you know the cadence is the same. I really, except for no cameos, and they have a bunch of other celebrity cameos instead. You would never know that these were created by different people. Yeah, and let's just uh, state the obvious here. There was there was a bunch of Brady Bunch movies that were made. There was the first one, the original, in ninety five, ninety four, and then this one in ninety six. And they made a bunch after that, and they all became, I think, made for video. They never were in theaters, and that's when the the characters and the actors started dropping out. I think. Uh, Gary Cole and Shelley Long might be the only two that stuck stuck with it the entire way, but I certainly wouldn't recommend any of the ones after this one. I think this is kind of the last hurrah. Have you seen the other ones? Is that like the Brady's go to Washington and stuff? Yeah, the Brady's go to Washington, and there's another one too. I think there's four. Yeah, I have. I feel like I've seen Brady's go to Washington again on TV. They would randomly show these kind of things, um, it, it, like during the day, <laughs> like and. Um, those, I think, are more confusing to me because since the cast changed and they're a little less parody, they feel like they are maybe canon to the original Brady universe. Yeah, what happens is that they eventually become the thing that they're making fun of. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, these, these first two are very savage, almost mean-spirited, but very intelligent parodies, and then they eventually just become, like, little Brady Bunch episodes for kids. They become the thing they were making fun of, which is kind of sad. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, that is sad. I wonder how, like, who, yeah, and I'm looking at these, I believe that it's the, the Sherwood Schwartz descendants that, uh, uh created those movies. So it's not the comedic people, but it's, um, Lloyd Schwartz and then, uh, someone named Hope Juber wrote those movies. And those are canon Brady people. So they really, this is actually kind of crazy that they took the actors from the parody uh -huh. and then they inserted them back into the canon creation. So it's like it's what you're saying that the they became what they were making fun of. But normally when you say that, it's like a, a like kind of an aesthetic thing. This is like a literal <laughs> they became what they are making fun of. Yeah. Although that I, you can read that a different way as well, in that the short the Schwartz family and the Brady Bunch cast members, the originals, were not happy with these movies because they presented the Bradys in a darker, more mocking way, and so you could almost say they were trying to take back the image of the Bradys and make them more wholesome mm -hmm. again. So, I guess it's really potato potato which way you look at it. But yeah, it's very much different mindset in those TV movies based on these two theatrical ones. Yeah, it's definitely I I don't see that becoming a staff pick anytime soon, but it's something that I'm go I'm going to try to look for cuz I like kind of want to see what's up with that. Well, yeah, and and I will say something that's probably going to be very controversial. I don't want to piss off Brady Nation here, but like the fact that the original cast and like the original mom doesn't like these movies 
makes me care less what the original cast thinks because I think the movies are better than the TV show. So it's like when I think of Mike and Carol Brady, I start thinking Gary Cole and Shelley Long because I think they're so good. Like I, I really couldn't care less what Florence Henderson thought about because I think her version of the Brady's was too far back in the past and didn't matter anymore. So that's my, my hot take of the day that I think the movies are more important than the TV show. I think, uh, like I said, I think probably at this point more people are familiar with the movies than the TV show, especially of, like, the millennial generation. But more people are definitely familiar with the movies than they are with all these insane spinoffs <laughs> that, like, seem to have gone all the way through the mid-90s, like, that were part of the Schwartz legacy. And it's very bizarre, and it makes you really think that, like, I mean, not that this is like, you know, I'm not breaking uh, breaking any news by saying this, but like people like Jerry Seinfeld who like finished their show and capped it off and said, you know, no more, we'll never come back, we'll never make a movie, blah blah blah. Like they were kind of onto something because mm-hmm. how the Brady Bunch spins into complete insanity with what well, I'm saying. There's a show called The Brady Brides. <laughs> like there's another a very Brady Christmas. There's another show called The Brady's that comes out in 1990. Like it goes off the rails insanely fast with spinoffs. Yeah, and I was just gonna say that for a lot of younger people won't know this, but they really did carry the Brady's over into the 80s, and they kept trying to make them happen. And, like, the Brady Bunch TV show was only on for, what, four or five seasons in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. And they just kept going, and it would come back. And this is, I will say, one of the lowest points in pop culture in my lifetime, and that's saying something. <laughs> in the 80s, they they had a remake of Leave it to Beaver. They had the new Leave it to Beaver with the original cast in the 80s, all as grown-ups. And they also had uh, Brady something. It was called the Brady's, where it was, like, the grown-up version. I think it's version, the Brady's, Yeah, the yeah. grown-up version of the Brady's. And, like, they were on at the same time, like, this modern-day Leave it to Beaver and modern-day Brady Bunch. And I'm like, who wants to watch that? I don't care about that. But it was like a thing in the 80s. They kept trying to keep it going. It makes me feel like we will maybe get out of what I thought was a low point of today's television where, like, the hot shows are Will and Grace and Murphy Brown (laughs) and shows that went off the air a long time ago. So uh, maybe this is just, like, a low before a creative... uh, creative burst in television if we're if we're lucky that this isn't the first uh era of all remakes oh yeah i i kind of worry that's going to happen although it does give me hope that maybe in 10 years we'll see a remake or like a updated version of the brady bunch movie where gary cole and all them come back and now they're older (laughs) wow now we're getting really meta the second wave of the second version of the brady bunch that would be very good If that's the long game they're playing here, then it's worth it. That's right. That's the long game. There's always a long game with the Brady Bunch. There's always an (laughs) ulterior motive. (laughs) Yep. Okay, so to finish off the movie, again, it's a very slight movie. We were shocked we we were able to fill an hour on this podcast because we were worried we wouldn't have enough to talk about. But we're not even to the end of the movie. So, yeah, basically Roy goes and he tries to win the horse at the auction and he loses out to Zsa Zsa Gabor, of all people, which is another Yeah, and Rosie O'Donnell. Because that's who you want, the the celebrity cameo of Rosie O'Donnell, who's like the big talk show at the time. In fact, that might be before her talk show. I kind of forget. Maybe uh, maybe a little before, um, but just around that time. But I was thinking, I was like, wow, like it it doesn't phase me now. Oh, and it wouldn't have phased me then to see Rosie O'Donnell in a movie. I feel like she was truly everywhere mm-hmm. and that it's it's barely considered a cameo because she was in everything. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And the Zsa Zsa Gabor stuff is more of that topical humor. Like she had just got arrested for slapping a cop and they reference it in the movie and like, mm-hmm. don't put that in your movie. That's not, no one's going to know that reference in 20 years, but it, okay. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the end of the movie is Roy, he, he gets the horse and he takes it to Hawaii, but the kids find him out. Bobby and Cindy have found out that he's a charlatan. He's a no, he's a ne'er do well. And they, uh, they they point him out to the dad and like they all confront Roy back at the house and Roy pulls out a gun and he's like I've got the horse I'm gonna fly to Hawaii I'm gonna go sell it and I'm gonna take Carol as a hostage and I just love the scene how dark it is where the kids say no don't take mom take Jan <laughs> Which, yeah <laughs> maybe that's what they meant when they got a little dark here <laughs> yeah yeah I like and that. this is also oh this is also where he suggests that uh, Carol send Cindy to a special school yep yep. <laughs> Okay, so so Roy flees with Mrs. Brady and the horse, and it's like a, a crime caper from here on out. It's kind of silly, the last part of the movie. But we do have one fantastic musical interlude here where Mike takes the kid. He's like, all right, we'll go rescue Mom, and we're going to Hawaii. Pack the flowered shirts. And they're like, yeah. And again, this is one of the most famous Brady subplots that they actually did go mm-hmm. to Hawaii for a couple episodes. It's a big deal, and we're going to try to recreate that. But this flying scene, this this one is something special. Yeah, I love it. And it's it's the heart of the Brady's and it's the heart of these two movies is just Brady kids are, you know, feeling down on a plane. So what else are they going to do but sing? All right. I'm going to paint a picture. I'm going to try to paint the picture for people who have not seen this, that the Brady's are flying to Hawaii to rescue their mom from being kidnapped and this man who has stolen their beloved horse. And they're on a plane, and they're trying to think what will cheer us up. And Greg produces a guitar, and they start singing on the plane. (laughs) And what I love is that they pull out a kind of an obscure Brady cut. This is like a deep cut here, this good time music. Yep, yep. I don't know what episode this would have been from. This is from one of the last episodes. It's like fourth or fifth season, and I had never seen this episode. And I'm not sure my wife had either, and I'm waiting for her to come storming in here and correct me. But I I, I, I don't <laughs> think either one of us knew this was an actual Brady song. They start playing, let me hear some of that good time music. And I'm like, I don't know that song. Is that an original? But the choreography on this scene kills me. And I think this is as funny as almost anything from the first movie. It's up there with the Davy Jones jokes and stuff where uh, they they do this little clap dance where they clap and raise their hands and dance around the plane. And it's just fantastic. And I'm like, man, this this was a fun scene. You could just see how much joy they're having singing and dancing. Like, is this is this your favorite scene in this movie or do you like the time to change? Which one would be the standout? Of... I, I this one's better for sure. It's definitely a less iconic song, but the dancing is so good. I the uh I wish that like my only kind of flaw in rewatches is like just a note is like uh, I it was hard to tell until the end like whether the crowd was really hating it or just kind of tolerating it. And I'm like, had I been there, I would have loved it. And I think a lot of people would have loved it. Uh, or at least had like some sort of like more shock and awe reaction than like kind of just a mild annoyance that the crowd showed to it. <laughs> yeah. it's And yeah, it's a great scene and it, it's just fun watching people react to the Brady's and, and like, and that's the one thing that's missing from the sequel is like the modern audience just reacting to these Brady's you don't get that as much yeah but this is the one scene where they're all just saying oh my god look at these people singing and then we get the wonderful capper which might be the funniest line in this entire movie where the Brady's get interrupted by the PA the stewardess in the middle of their song and the lady says may I have your attention please with those of you dancing and singing in the aisles please sit down and shut up 
Yeah, a much quoted line uh, by me and my brother when we saw this movie. Yeah, I remember seeing this and just laughing. Oh, man. Like, even though this is a dumb sequel, that scene and that line right here makes this worthy of, the you know, the Brady legacy. And then, like, they've, the Brady's finished their song. They've been admonished, and people start applauding because the steward has told them to shut mm-hmm. up. And then they all sit down, and they do that one last clap. The little choreographed yep, clap. Yeah, they still fade out. <laughs> fade out. <laughs> it's so good. Yep. Oh. So that's the one scene. I mean, there's a couple scenes in this movie. I'd say four. That's the one that I think is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's it really it showcases that sort of Brady showmanship. I love that it's like there's full backing track for everything <laughs> that comes out of nowhere. And yeah, it's it's truly beautiful. Yes. And I just love that Greg produces a guitar from underneath his seat. I remember thinking thinking as a kid like when did they plan all this choreography? Like, and I'm like, no, it makes sense that they did. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not beyond the Brady's that in their downtime, uh, they would have been doing, you know, practicing <laughs> choreography. It tracks with everything we know about them. I love in one Brady Bunch episode how they want to be a hot teen singing act and they have to put together an act for $10,000. And I think Greg literally mm-hmm. throws it together overnight in the garage and they go in there professionally good by the next day. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like that. I, I believe it. I, uh, I think if anyone can do it, they can. Yeah, and here's Barry Williams not thinking that Greg was a huge dork. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you can choreograph an entire stage show with your five brothers within six hours, you're a dork. Sorry, Greg. You're not Mr. Cool, popular guy. Yeah, Johnny Bravo would never do that. Yeah. So, okay, so we go to Hawaii, and the Brady's coming after Rescue Carol, and, you know, it's all kind of caper stuff, and they really get sloppy at the end of the movie. They just start throwing in references to the Brady Bunch show left and right, like the Tiki and the Spider, and I'm not even going to go into that because the movie just doesn't really explain them. But there is a big showdown at the end. Yeah, I will say the one, uh, I'm sure you know this one, but if you don't, uh, they... that Marsha has to give Greg CPR on the beach, mm-hmm. which is like just a very stupid little scene. And then uh, the Greg uh, gets a boner and then uh, runs away and says uh, something suddenly came up, which I think is like is a uh, another classic uh, Brady reference uh, that is lampooned here in in an excellent top tier way. So that's one of the ones I appreciated. Uh, very much on a rewatch. Yeah, they did that in the first movie as well with Charlie Anderson, the nerdy guy. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, he pops wood and he's like, oh, something suddenly came. So, yeah, they're going back to the well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no one no one challenges me on the original Brady Bunch movie trivia. I know that one inside and out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that. I forgot that in the original movie, but I liked it in this one. Yeah, this is the first time it happens to Greg, and of course it is with Marsha. Yep, of Okay, course. so the end of the movie is the big showdown. They end up at this uh, Hawaiian mansion and who is it, Dr. Whitehead, and and this is where uh, mm-hmm. Carol explains the plan. She's like, oh, you're the art dealer. You're going to buy this thing from Roy, but he's a he's a con artist. It's my horse. It's my statue, and we have this big confrontation at the end with Dr. Martin and – or sorry, with Dr. Whitehead and Roy, and, and then uh, Mike and the whole family comes up, and it's, it's kind of silly. I don't really like the end of this movie, although there's a great line here that I remember when I first saw this movie. That was really clever. It's where we find out who Carol's husband really was. Yep, yep. This is fun. This is funny, and I'll give them this, even though it's convoluted. But I, I don't mind it. 
Okay, yeah. For those of you who don't know, of course, there were other TV shows around the 60s, around the time of the Brady Bunch, such as I Dream of Jeannie, which will be referenced at the end of this movie, and Gilligan's Island, which was the other big one around that time. And this is where we find out from where Dr. Whitehead explains, you know, you know, at the start of the movie, Roy, you cut this man's, you know, you cut his the line on his boat. You stranded him at sea. That was horrible. You know, my son was on that boat. My son, the first mate, his name was Gilligan and Carol's husband, the professor, and they may have been lost at sea. So this is where we find out in a very meta universe that Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch are connected because apparently the professor was Carol's first husband. Yeah, this is why them trying to, like, make anything that happens in this movie canon, like, to the real Brady Bunch universe is insane, uh, but it's very, very fun. And it's fun probably if you were a person watching TV in the 60s or if you were a person watching a lot of Nick at Night, like me. Oh, yeah. No, that, see, I remember when I first saw this movie in the theater, I was kind of disappointed because it wasn't as good as the original Brady Bunch movie. But I love the songs, I love the tripping and the animation scene, and I love this line. This is the line that really stuck out to me, where we find out that Carol was married to the professor. And I'm like, okay, that's clever. I will give you credit on that one. That was a good line. Yeah, it's good. It's, it, it's fun to just have everything sort of come together like that. And then we get the grand finale where... Mike, after the entire movie of doubting Roy, that he thinks Roy was a jerk, he finally punches him. And <laughs> there's a great, again, there's not as many Robert Re or uh, Gary Cole lines in this one compared to the first one, but this is a great lecture where he's like, Roy finally says, you know, Mike, I'm going to kick your Brady butt. And all the kids gasp. They're like, <gasps> and Mike's like, <laughs> you just, and Cindy's like, he said the B word. <laughs> it's really good. And I will say my son heard that this morning. And he was kind of, he, again, he hates this movie with a passion. And he said, he said the B word. And my son's like, Brady? That's the B word, Brady. Screw the Brady. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. So anyway, yeah, so um, uh, Mike Brady's like, you know, Roy, you've deceived our family, stolen our horse, and kidnapped my wife. But when you use language like that in front of my kids, you've crossed the line. <laughs> then he punches him. Yeah, he punches him. When we get Mike Brady, action hero, who finally stands up and punches out the bad guy and wins the day. I love it. They nail it at the end. Yeah, just kind of a very, like, yeah, a little more intense than your typical Brady episode, but uh, same, same message, I guess. Exactly. Although Mike Brady never resorted to violence, so that's the one thing. Maybe <laughs> that was another thing that Sherwood Schwartz and Florence Henderson were thrilled about. Like, Mike Brady would never punch anybody. Yep, that tracks. Although we do end with a quick little stinger, and this is something I always forget about this movie, that there's some neat little cameos in the last scene of the movie where we go and we have the anniversary party, Mike and Carol renew their vows and they have their wedding. And this is where we, uh, not only do Greg, I think Greg and Marsha finally make out here, right? They start doing it right there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But we do get some cameos, some very important cameos in minor Brady Bunch lore. Do you know which two characters I'm talking about show up here at the end? Uh, don't they, they do a quick reference to Cousin Oliver and Tiger? Tiger, yes. Tiger's the dog who died in real yep. life. And what's funny is in real life they had this dog, Tiger, on the show, and he was hit by a car, and he was killed, so they wrote him off the show. They just quietly made him disappear. And so <laughs> Tiger makes a cameo in the scene, and he literally gets hit by a car, which I've got to say was not a nice way to off Tiger in this one as well. <laughs> no, I kind of think, like... Cousin Oliver and Tiger are so famous that I wish that they 
gave them like there was some like that's way more famous than Kitty Carry All. Like I, it would have been really fun to have uh, at least a cousin Oliver show up uh, in some uh, some way. Did he have a cameo in the first one? No, he never made it in the first one, and he only shows up here for like literally three seconds at the end of this one, where he's running after Tiger and Bobby says, "Cousin Oliver, no!" And like it's if you know the show, you'd laugh because that's a Again, the uh, typical adding of the cute kid at the end of a series when it's about to go off the air. In real life, they added this cousin Oliver because he was younger than the Brady kids. So he makes a little cameo, although I'm sad to say he is not hit by the car. Only Tiger is. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, those are such famous things. That, or, like, they just mean so much to people like me. Yeah, it's hard for me to know what's actually, like, famous and popular from the Brady Bunch since I watched it kind of pre-internet before I, like, looked up every show I like on the internet in such a, you know, a way that made my life great and horrible. Uh, so uh, I I don't know what's famous, but to me, those seem so famous that I would have loved to have them uh, have a little, have something uh, a little more excited to that. The guy who, the kid who played Cousin Oliver, he's around. He's like a voice actor now or something. And I think he, they might have given him a, a cameo in something, but I can't remember what it was. Cause, um, but, uh, yeah, that would have been fun. I think technically the actor who played Cousin Oliver, Robbie Rist, I think he was the most successful of all the Brady kids. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I know. So, doesn't, doesn't say much about the rest of them. But, yeah, I think he actually did pretty yeah. well. But, yeah, he is. people have a love-hate relationship with Cousin Oliver. People love him or love to hate him. It's one of those things. But, yeah, he's... Like I said, that's kind of the Brady Bunch joke. It's a shame that only Tiger gets hit by the car here. They couldn't take out Oliver, too. So, yeah, Jan ends up with George Glass. Uh, Mike and Carol renew their vows. Greg and Marsha start making out hardcore. <laughs> and we end the scene with another cameo where Jeannie, this is where we find out where Carol throws the bouquet and ends in the street. And, and Jeannie, Barbara Eden of all people, comes and picks it up. And she's like, oh, hello. I'm looking for my master, Mike Brady. He's my husband. And then Carol passes out, and that's the end of the movie. Amazing. Uh, it 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 matches very well uh, with the Gilligan's Island uh, 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 reveal that we just got a little bit ago. So it's got another sort of them kind of insinuating that all of these kind of Nick at Night type shows take place in the same universe. Very good. It seems like it might be setting up for a third movie, but of course we know it wasn't. Oh, wait, there was plenty. There was a third and fourth movie. You forgot the Schwartz ones. Okay, okay. <laughs> I wish. I agree. They never did another theatrical movie, and it's probably best they did because of diminishing returns. But I will say again that there's enough in this one that makes it stand out for me as sequels go. Again, I, I am the world's biggest sequel hater, but there's at least four or five things in a very Brady sequel I think are equally as good as the first movie. And, I, you know, I've heard people argue this one's better than the first one, and I, you even saw it first. So if you like this one more than the first one, I can respect that because they are you know, brothers from the same mother. They are came from the same place of love. But this, to me, this is really where the Brady Bunch series ends. They had one last hurrah here. Yeah, I think this one, and uh, let me know if this is true. I think it had more buzz. Well, only, like it was a very advertised. Yeah, only because the first one was a big hit. And that's because I remember seeing right. ads for the first one. And like, this is stupid. Who wants to watch a movie based on a TV show? I'd never seen anything that had ever been like that that was good. Like, a lot of people liked the, the movie Dragnet, which was based on that show. I can't stand that movie. So, like, I, I, there, I had a rocky history with TV shows being made in a movie. So the first one was a big hit. And then there's the buzz for the second one. So that's why. 
That makes sense. And so, yeah, kind of a sleeper hit. And then people went crazy for this one, even though it wasn't as good. Yeah. So that, yeah, that all makes sense. Um, So, yeah, I would say it's hard. I would be very surprised if someone liked one of these and didn't like the other one. Mm-hmm. But I can, I'll definitely hear arguments about why someone likes one over the other. Okay, well, uh, we've officially walked through my very first sequel here on Staff Picks. I want to thank you for making it pleasant and helping me with the Brady references. Any Anything else you want to add before we sign off? Uh, no, uh, I hope that everyone has a sunshine day and keeps on moving and, uh, you know, does all the things that M- Mike Brady would have wanted you to do. And they keep on listening to that good time music, right? Yeah, keep on listening to those Good Time podcasts. (laughs) All right. uh, Thank you again, Taylor. I just want to thank you for stopping by. Again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. You can reach me online at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time, I'll be out there looking for more movies that deserve a little more love. And I may even slip another sequel in there once in a while. So we've crossed the line. This is the Field of Dreams barrier we just walked over. We can't go back. So, again, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys later. Goodbye. Goodbye. Marsha. Yes, Greg. I mean, 